You're listening to Martin Wolf's podcast from the Financial Times. Fast growth, huge current account imbalances, low real interest rates and risk spreads, subdued inflation and easy access to finance characterise today's world economy. Is this happy party about to end? Probably not. But to identify the risks, we must first decide what drives the strange world economy we see around us. The two interesting alternative explanations are the savings glut and the money glut. Both share common themes, globalisation, the revolution in finance, the rise of China, low inflation and macroeconomic stability. Beyond this, however, they diverge. In particular, they reverse the role of victim and villain. In the savings glut story, the thrifty are the villains and profligate the victims. In the money glut story, it is the other way round. This is, in fact, a contemporary version of the old Keynesian versus monetarist dispute. The savings glut hypothesis is now associated with Ben Bernanke, chairman of the Federal Reserve. But the idea was floated still earlier by others. Brian Redding of Lombard Street Research lays out the line of argument in a recent note. A substantial excess of savings over investment has emerged, he says, predominantly in China and Japan and the oil exporters. This has led to low global real interest rates and huge capital flows towards the world's most creditworthy and willing borrowers, above all U.S. households. The short-term effect is an appreciation of real exchange rates and soaring current account deficits in the destination countries. To sustain output in line with potential, domestic demand in those countries must also be substantially higher than gross domestic product. A country must then choose fiscal and monetary policies that bring this result about. Not only has the US absorbed 70% of the rest of the world's surplus capital, but consumption has accounted for 91% of the increase in gross domestic product in this decade. Thus, excess saving in one part of the world has driven excess consumption in another. What Mr. Redding calls a liquidity tsunami is, then, the result of the savings glut. Low nominal and real interest rates encourage robust credit growth, a worldwide shift into risky assets, and compression of risk spreads. Hedge funds and private equity boom as investors seek high returns, though buoyant asset prices and low real interest rates seem to decree the opposite. In the savings glut world, governments are responsible for much of the capital outflow. This is either because domestic residents are not allowed to hold foreign assets, as in China, or because most of the export revenue accrues to governments, as in the oil exporters. Either way, governments end up with vast foreign currency assets as the counterpart of their country's domestic excess savings. In this world, then, the U.S. is a passive victim. Excess savers are, so to speak, the villains, and the Federal Reserve is the hero. In the money-glut world, however, the world's savers are passive victims, profligate Americans are villains, and the Federal Reserve is an anti-hero. In this world, the U.S. Central Bank is a serial bubble blower, has distorted asset markets and visited excess monetary emission on trading partners around the world, above all on those who seek monetary stability through pegged exchange rates against the dollar. 
This is the line of argument of Richard Duncan, a well-known financial analyst. The argument is that US monetary excess causes low nominal and, given reliably subdued inflationary expectations, real interest rates. This causes rapid credit growth to consumers and a collapse in household savings, initially in the United States. The excess spending then floods across the frontiers, generating a huge U.S. trade deficit and a corresponding outflow of dollars from the country. That outflow weakens the dollar. Floating currencies are forced up to uncompetitive levels, but peg currencies such as the Chinese renminbi are kept down by open-ended foreign currency intervention by their governments. This then leads to a massive accumulation of foreign currency reserves, up by $3,445 billion between January 2000 and March of this year in the world as a whole. It also creates difficulties for these countries with sterilizing the impact on their domestic money supply and inflation. In this view of the world economy, savings are not a driving force, as in the savings glut hypothesis, but a passive result of excess money creation by the system's hegemonic power, the U.S., Profits and so measured corporate savings rise simply because of increased exports and output under economies of scale. Governments of countries that possess the huge trade surpluses then follow the fiscal and monetary policies that sustain the excess savings needed to curb excessive demand and inflation. It is no surprise that the Federal Reserve is a believer in the savings glide hypothesis. But many Asians blame their present predicament on dollar hegemony, which is, of course, the core of the money glut hypothesis. The big questions, however, are which is true and whether it matters. My answer to the first of these questions is that the savings glut hypothesis looks truer for several reasons. First, monetary growth in the U.S. does not look unreasonably high. Second, inflationary expectations in the U.S. have remained contained as real interest rates have started to rise. Third, the weakness of the U.S. dollar looks quite modest, though that is admittedly distorted by the interventions elsewhere. Fourth, it is hard to believe that the soaring savings in Asia and oil exporters are merely passive responses to excess demand from outside rather than deliberate choices. And finally, the pegged exchange rates themselves are clearly policy choices. My answer to the second question is that indeed it does matter which is true. If we live in the savings glut world, the U.S. current account deficit is protecting the world from deep recession. If we live in the money glut world, that very same deficit is threatening the world with a dollar collapse and ultimately even a return of high worldwide inflation. The savings glut view, then, is rather more comforting. After all, excess savers will learn to spend in the end, sooner rather than later if U.S. spending were to weaken dramatically. But if we live in the money glut world, the great gains in monetary stability of the past quarter century are themselves at risk. Either way, the present world can probably not continue indefinitely. And moreover, either way, it makes little sense for emerging market economies to write such vast blank checks to the U.S., The era of massive currency intervention and dependence on excess spending by U.S. households must end. Might that end even be nigh? Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online, please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.